Like Call It What You Want, which we know is your favorite podcast about the beautiful game, Viore is committed to delivering a great experience for everyone, which is highlighted by their new perspective on performance apparel. Everything is designed to work out in, but doesn't look or feel like it. In fact, I'm rocking their Stratotech polo right now, along with their Sunday performance jogger pants, so I can be business on top when I'm on camera, but super comfortable on the bottom. And it's just the best. Fiori gear is incredibly versatile, and it can be used for just about any activity. Running, training, swimming, lounging around, hosting podcasts, doing errands, whatever your heart desires, because Viore is an investment in your happiness. And for our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. So go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash call it. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash call it. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash call it and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. edition of In Soccer We Trust. I'm Jimmy Conrad alongside some of my very handsome former U.S. Men's National Team teammates, Charlie Davies and Heath Pierce. And today we're going to take a deep dive into what was once the only way to be seen if you truly wanted to become a professional soccer player in this country. I'm talking about college soccer. However, as we know, times have changed and the emergence of well-funded academies around the country have change some things and i think that maybe college has to reflect that change as well from its current four to five month season because that feels a little bit archaic in its model so many are asking the ncaa to change the way it's set up spreading out the season to include the fall and the spring now before i explain though even more details of this plan and its potential ripple effects i want to ask chuck about your college experience mm-hmm. and where you went how important that experience was for you with the benefit of hindsight and what you would do now if you were coming through the ranks. Would you go through the academy system only, or would you do college all over again? Take it away, Chuck. Well, happy Earth Day to both of you. Thank I, you very I was much. out painting. Happy Earth Day, Charlie. And picking up trash. <laughs> but um, your, 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 your sweater looks very Earth Day, too. So uh, shout out to you. your sweater for everybody that uh, can't see it. It's rainbow. It, it, you know, I have to say the college experience was amazing. And it wasn't in particular because of soccer, but it's because of the, the maturity and the growth that you experience going through through the college. Like, and you went experience. where? You went to Boston College. I went to Boston College. Um, you know, I, I chose Boston College because for me, it was the best school that was close enough for my parents to drive to and see me play. And I think that was very important um, in the process. So my three choices were Boston College, Brown, or UConn. Mm-hmm. And I, I felt the most comfortable at BC. So... I would Brown, say Brown. What a nerd, huh? I know, what Jeez a, Louise, I know. you had me fooled. He, I don't know. He's, write, he's writing articles for MLSsoccer.com now. That's true. He's in that part My of his brain. Now, 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 Chuck, tell me, did you stay all four years? Did you leave early? Was there some pull to to join MLS or or to take that step into your professional career a little sooner? Well, you both know. I mean, probably Heath, um, because Jimmy, I think you're. A I'm older. older. Yes, I'm a dinosaur. Yeah. I get it. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know. Your 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 fellow teammates on the national team, youth national team are all playing professionally and they're not in college. And if you want to be the best professional, you know that the sooner you go, the quicker you develop and you have a better chance of having the ultimate success. So the pressure was on ever since I went to, to BC as a freshman that maybe it's a one and done because that was kind of the hype around playing one year of college and, and making a move to the pros. So I played one year uh, and we were in the Big East. And then uh, it wasn't to be for me to leave college. I don't think I was necessarily ready. The next year we tra- changed to the ACC. That's the game changer because that's the best conference in college soccer. And so my first game of the year. Such an East Coaster to say it that. It is very Jimmy. East Coast. East I was just going to let it pass. I was going to let him have his moment here. Such but... an East Coaster hey, to say that. Anyways. No, no need for that. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, we played in the, the Milk Cup in the summer heading into my sophomore year. We win the tournament. Uh, I won the Golden Boot. I was, you know, my uh, Lee Wynn was one of my teammates. He w- was going over uh, off to PSB. So I was like, okay, this is, this is going to be my year. After this college season, I'm going to leave. First game of the year, I tear my meniscus out, out for five months. They did a repair. So then I experienced depression because now this is the first time in my life I'm not allowed to, to play a sport. I can't get up. I can't move. And that was really difficult, those five, those five months. 
but I bounced back, had a great spring game against the Revolution, scored two goals. We beat them 3-1. And I think that, that was a Revolution team that made the MLS Cup the year before and, and the year after. So um, playing against Parkers, Twelman, Dumpsey, Sean Reed Joseph, um, it was a pretty impressive um, for me to get recover and still play. Pretty that. early flex, so, huh, Heath? He got in there quick today. So, Joey, Joey Franchino. Joey Franchino. <laughs> Joey, no, Joe Franchino. Uh, junior year, I played, and then um, it was the right time. So I left uh, and had two choices like everyone. It was MLS or, or Europe, and it was a trial, not, nothing guaranteed. But I had always wanted to go to Europe, so Ajax is where I went uh, on trial. And it didn't work out. Um, I got injured in my last trial game, but um, Hammarby in Stockholm, Sweden, offered me a contract, and and that's the the way I went. I would say I would do it all over again if I had the opportunity. Because same same exact thing. Wouldn't change a thing. You you, you experience so many things that that kind of prepare you for what it's like being an adult living on your own um, in college, and, and having to fend for yourself in college. Right, and it, it's right. more of the social learning more than like the actual. Oh, can I cook for myself or pay bills? No, it's but about being alone with adults, you know, young adults, um, and in that environment, just growing and, and learning out Charlie's, who you are. Charlie's wife must be sitting right next to him for him to have <laughs> such a politically correct answer right now. It's uh, Earth Day, dude. It's Earth Day. Uh, he's, it's, trying, you know, he's trying to be nice you know, to everybody. It's Earth Day. The community and uh, you know, just uh, you know, the camaraderie of other. No, uh, like he, you're going to say the same stuff. So give <laughs> us your yeah. backstory. You, you, the the, yeah, level, the level of college back then too was much higher. Yeah. Let's, let's, for, from American, from the American talent standpoint. Because, well, because yeah, more kids. Yeah, more. There's no other pipeline. There was no right. infrastructure to have the youth academy. So that's a good point. Mm -hmm. And Heath, how about you? You went to University of Portland for how long? You did almost the same thing as Charlie in some ways. Yeah, right? yeah. So, so I went uh, freshman year, and I, I went specifically because of the schools that I was looking at. Clive Charles was the one. I had broken my leg before my my senior year um, you guys have in residency. Crazy injuries. Before. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and and so I got a uh, tip fib fracture. Came back from that. Kind of everything disappeared in terms of opportunities. John Ellinger, who was my youth national team coach at the time, got a call from Clive Charles looking for a player of my type of uh, sort of profile. I went to visit Clive. Clive was like, here, I have two goals. You're going to go to class. You're going to pass your classes. I'm going to develop you for the pros. And then when you're ready, I'm going to help you on your way. I, I, you know, He's like, we could win national championships here because I'm, I'm Clive Charles and I can recruit <laughs> I anybody. <love> that. <laughs> um, but that's not what I'm here to do. I'm here to develop people and develop players. And when those players kind of reach their point, I pushed them on the way and then kind of went on for like Casey Keller and, and, and Steve Chirundolo and kind of gave me that story. So I went, uh, played a semester there, had a really good year, got called into the U20s. That was during a time when the U20s actually had a delay in um, the World Cup because of the UAE and there was like bomb threats and all these things. And so they delayed the World Cup. And there was unrest in the Middle East. And so I had to take a semester off of school, missed a second semester of school, went back again, sophomore year, ended up getting like, you know, mono and all kinds of other things, kind of a wash of a year. Uh, <laughs> like it was a really that, bad year. I was, isn't that code for you're making out with a lot of girls and that's nah, how you get mono? That's what, that's what, that's what, <laughs> yes, it is. you know, yes, it is. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I, I, I was at any U20 camp in Spain, ended up getting shingles, which is, also similarly oh uh God. the same as yeah it's all oh like immune system <laughs> breakdown right i got shingles i got mono and i got uh exercise induced asthma all in the same period like they, my my i was seeing all these specialists people thought that i was like potentially on the way out you know like <laughs> i was pretty i was yeah like i was i was i was my even my parents thought like told me like a decade later they're like we thought you had meningitis and there wasn't much left of you because you were pretty beaten down but anyways wash of a season there ended up getting uh tryouts the after my sophomore year going to Europe, kind of trying for a few teams, tried to get on at Rangers, no work permit issues and things like that. Ended up going to Denmark, uh, had an unbelievable week. You know, every you guys know what it's like when you just have those blackout moments where you're just like, everything's going right. Like you hit a shot top corner and you're like, never done that before. Not going to tell anybody that that's never happened. Uh, everything went right. They ended up offering me a crap contract, went back to another semester uh, at Portland about halfway through it. Um, got the offer that I wanted, kind of sat on it quietly and, and then, and then made my way out right when the semester ended, not finishing the semester, by the way, which I should have done in retrospect. But, uh, as I've, as I've gone back to finish school now, kind of a dumb thing to do uh, with where I had to start, but yeah, three seasons, uh, kind of two years of schooling and, and, and got my chance to go to Europe. And I didn't have an opportunity to go to MLS. I had had a few conversations and at that time they'd switched from project 40 to generation Adidas. You had to have two teams that would guarantee to draft you. And apparently I could only get one. John Ellinger says that I think he, I think he just said he wouldn't draft me and, and uh, nobody wanted me. So I, I took the option that I had and didn't tell anybody that I had it and went to Europe and, and started my career there. But 
in terms of the soccer experience, I hated spring season. I was so happy the freshman year when I was gone and training with the U20s. I was in Bradenton training with MLS teams that came through, uh, training with the U20s and in between camps there. I hated the spring season just because of, you know, running running in a gym, gym sessions or running in like our, no real our purpose, arena. Right? Because no real nothing, purpose. And yeah, right. you're missing so many things for touches that like a few of us that had grander ambitions, some people settled into that college experience and they and they liked that because they could focus on on certain things. I was just like, how do I get a small group? To, I was like, me and Luis Robles would play keeper wars, you know, like, <laughs> and I wasn't a keeper, but I just wanted anybody who would go out into the park and play, play a kick around with me. And, and it was very different uh, than what I think the proposals are now, but that was my, that was my journey out of necessity then. And, and obviously it's evolved quite a bit in terms of the quality of the league and Clive Charles obviously passed away and, and, and everything like that. So. Yeah, I'll just jump in and say about my college experience. I didn't play it on the youth national teams. I only made the state ODP team once at the U16 level. Honestly, Jimmy, it's better because I got cut from every one of them and it's not that cool in the end, you know, like I, yeah. I didn't make the regional team. I didn't do any of that stuff. No, that's true. There's probably some heartbreak that I avoided by doing that. I didn't have any significant injuries like you two did. So I didn't have that as an excuse. I just wasn't good enough at that time. Everybody, I was like, you know, a little engine that could and, and inching my way uh, to where I wanted to go. Didn't get recruited to a division one school. Jimmy Loki in high school. He, he sucked, I, I wasn't great. I didn't stand out, <laughs> but, but I could adapt to situations. And then I went to San Diego state on like a partial scholarship, played a lot of games there, trans walked on at UCLA, won the national championship and thought, Ooh, I'm going to get drafted. The other four seniors got drafted. I didn't. I went down and played in the A-League at the time. Who were those other four seniors, by the way, just so people know? Josh Keller, Matt Reese, Nick Tesloff, okay. and... Nick Tesloff? Nick Tesloff, uh, uh, Kevin, Kevin Coy. Okay. I know so, two, so, two of the four. Yes. So Josh is like does agency stuff. Tesloff's an assistant, I think, with the Galaxy. Mm -hmm. uh, Matt Reese obviously played for the Revs forever, and he is... And the national team. Stuff, and the national team. And then Kevin Coy turned out to be a uh, like a world class chef, and now he cooks privately for celebrities and stuff. Wild Sick. story. Yeah, That's yeah. So, awesome. but but uh, yeah, it's it's awesome what everybody's gone on to do. I didn't think I'd be the one that went on to to maybe have the most success um, outside of Matt, but but uh, yeah, I just kept pushing it and got to where I wanted to go. But what I wanted to say about my college experience was no way at any point. Would I have been able to go into, like, let's say the Galaxy, who were one of the best teams in the league at that point when I was going through college, and be able to compete not only physically, but also emotionally with the ups and downs of what it means to be a professional and, and really competing with other grown men to put food on the table, which is a much different experience than what you're doing in college, which is kind of still playing with your buddies. They're new buddies, but everybody's kind of there for the same thing and you're having a good time. So that college experience in my opinion, was was really pivotal for my growth and giving me the opportunity to play without the sink or swim mentality that you might have. Even though I was at one of the top schools in UCLA, and even though Ziggy Schmidt, rest in peace, he, he had a professional environment in place, there was still a little bit of that. You had room to make mistakes. And I feel like the professional level, you're 17, 18, and you're trying to break into the first team. You're getting judged a little bit harder potentially based on the coach of course uh why did you, and, and, you why did you up and leave san diego state how are you gonna just drop them off my brother went there that's why i know yeah, I, they got I, good I, breakfast burritos there they had you know what there was a lot of great things about san diego <laughs> but the coach was uh chuck clegg was not helping me grow there was 10 of us that came in as freshmen and after two years we kind of talked ourselves into a frenzy as as younger people do and eight of us transferred out. <laughs> wow uh yeah so i just i just took a, a flyer you know what happened was danny caliph was supposed to go to UCLA and spurn Ziggy to go to Maryland. And that opened up the opportunity for a big lumbering center back like myself to get the opportunity. So that was the only reason I actually owe Danny Caleb quite a bit. Cause he, when I came to the national team, it's only cause he didn't want to come to January camp to go try out in Denmark. Did you have to sit out a year? I didn't, was that I didn't a thing have then? to sit out. No, I, I think they thought it was going to be, but because I just wasn't any good. He, it <laughs> wasn't like, that big worry. of a deal. You're like, yeah, don't worry about him. This guy, <laughs> I ended up being the first walk on to start since Kobe Jones. So that was kind of cool. Uh, to so have you went that. from, partial scholarship to take a risk on on a walk-on i did yeah, yeah and my wow. parents were pissed because we <laughs> yeah but i can like, see why what we so, can't even afford san diego state with a partial now you want to go to ucla which is like three times as much and not have any but so the ncaa said you low-key suck too yeah pretty yeah. much yeah. yeah i mean it was it was, uh, it was a common theme in my life charlie and heath and everybody listening but oh, but God. that college experience was important for me now to your point about spring and this is where i want to get they in the spring, we had the opportunity. If you remember Noanko Kanu, terrific, terrific player, maybe one of the top Nigerians to play of all time and play for Arsenal and all that good stuff and, and won Champions League with Ajax when he was 17, played for Inter Milan. He had that significant heart 
uh, issue. And he came out and trained with us in the spring. So for whatever reason, we actually attracted some good players to come out and train with us at times. But when I got to see Canoe up close playing with us every day and like five aside, I got to see another level that you just don't know it, it exists until you see it right in your face. And so that was a really important thing too. And he was a super nice guy. But, but then also being around the Galaxy guys when they'd come out and train with us as well, you just got a little bit of that taste, not only of this is what you have to aspire to, but also I think I'm good enough to potentially hang with these guys. And mm -hmm. that was that was pivotal. But I feel like the college experience was very vital for me. But I think mm -hmm. I don't know where college fits moving forward. And really, just to give everybody some context, they want to now evolve the game. And Sasha Sarovsky, who's the coach of Maryland, has really been pushing for this. And I think it's smart. But I'll just give everybody they're going to split the, the season right now. It's like a four month season. Preseason in August, and I think Final Four is in December. And they want to push it to half the season. So you'd have two preseason games and then 12 games from September to right before Thanksgiving. Then the kids have time to focus, go, go somewhere, and actually spend some time with family during the holidays instead of having to travel to play games. They can also actually study meaningfully for their finals, which I couldn't do my, my last year, and I ended up taking an F in one of my classes. My mom's still pissed at me about that. And then they take a break and, and pick it back up again in February, March for long preseason, and then add eight more games from March to the end of April, and then have a like, little post-game Final Four tournament into the beginning, or most of May and into June. You're going to eliminate a lot of midweek games because, as you guys remember, we play on Friday, Sundays, and that isn't really conducive to playing at a high level, right? You're going to have some drop-off. You're going to be tired. There's more chances for injury, as you two guys know. So there's a couple fewer matches overall, but I think that balances out the schedule a little bit more and actually starts to fit more of a, of a professional schedule, which I think, in theory, could lend itself to having these guys that do go through the system transition into the pros a little bit more. However, the issue is because MLS – has a schedule that's different from everywhere else in the world. When you finish your senior year of college, it would be right in the middle of an MLS season, which that one feels a little bit weird, but let's, let's leave that part of it out first. Heath, I'll come to you. What do you think about this 21st century model as it pertains to college soccer? Because something has to change. We can't have yeah. guys only having meaningful games for four months and they're not doing anything twiddling the thumbs, as well, you not, mentioned with Luis Robles. <laughs> not only that, but they play like Friday and Sunday, you know, or they play Thursday and Sunday and the, and, uh, or no Friday and Sunday is when they usually play. Like you, it's a, it's horrible in terms of the, the, that side of it, in terms of your recovery, in terms of the professionalism of that, being able to put out performances consistently, um, just from like, uh, the health side of things. And, and so I don't like that. The, the, the other part that, that I, it, it's hard for me because my mentality was like, I just want to play until I can get to the level to make it to the next level. That was it. Like I want to play games. When I came into Portland, my very first week, I, I, I came out of a, a PDL uh, league where I was just uh, cheated out of uh, Charlie's Cape Cod, Cape Cod Crusaders and <laughs> uh, in, in a semifinal. And then went on, they went on to, I think to, to, to win it. But I came in and I was a step behind everybody. I played with a guy uh, from my age group named Miguel Guante that I played in like the youth, youth uh, regional teams and stuff with. He was running circles around me and I was a step off. It was a step above anything I had played, even though I had been in residency and been with the youth national team. These were adults and these people were fast. They were powerful. They were, it was a next step. Now it only took me a couple of weeks to really settle in and go, okay, this is the speed you have to play at. These are the demands. Clive Charles kind of lit a fire under me, like kind of screamed at me one too many times to I woke up and I was like, okay, this is the next level. But then you'd get through that season. And obviously I took that second semester off and I was lucky, but most of the guys that I would talk to during that time were like, yeah, there's nothing like nothing. You can't get a game. You know, some guys were trying to go train with like uh, youth clubs under 18 teams or, or with the Timbers or like sneaking out to like do all these things to get touches. Cause we had a good team that year. We had a number of guys, Nate Jaqua went pro for, uh, at that point. We had a guy named Alex Salazar. So a number of guys that were actually got a lot of recognition more than I did, uh, couldn't figure out where to go and how they were going to get minutes in play. And so it was, it was a huge detriment that I think developmentally that all we were doing is gym sessions and running for a semester where you could have been in, in meaningful moments and in, in games and not having to, 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 to kind of wear your body down playing every, every two days uh, on a weekend or midweek and missing school and things like that. Now, now, Charlie, do you feel like if NCAA doesn't evolve with the times that college soccer is going to be rendered obsolete, that, you, that, that scouts and teams won't be looking for that, especially because of how robust the academy system has become and the infrastructure is starting to mature and evolve uh, outside of, of college as well? Hey, Charlie, before you answer that, by the way, they're already recruiting abroad. 
now for universities. Most universities are going to get their players in Spain and England, mm-hmm. guys mm-hmm. out of academies because mm-hmm. they're like, I need to be competitive. I don't have the talent pool. I can't take risks. Also, universities are double recruiting and offering scholarships and then cutting away half of them because half those kids end up going pro or signing in a, you know, signing with homegrowns. And so you're stuck with all these players in really tough situations. Just to give a little context around the college game, it's not as, you know, it's a, it's a little bit ugly at times. Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't produce professionals like it did back when we were playing because of the all the options. Academies to USL now, USL was not a thing when we were playing. Now you have USL, you have MLS, and you also still have European teams especially with how many Americans are developing at a, such a, a much younger age that, that uh, they're trying to pluck away and bring them over to the, to their academies because we have, uh, we just have kids who are a little bit more athletic because of all the sports that you have here in this country, just because it's such a massive country. Now we're, we're able to develop kids who typically would go to play in, in, in football or basketball, you know, mm-hmm. taking those really a- athletic kids and, and molding them into to soccer players. So, the attraction for all these European teams are like, hey, we get American kids. They have this mentality that our kids don't have. Plus the athleticism, we can develop them and then sell them on for big fees, which is what they're doing. I will say this though, just like you, Jimmy, there are a lot of late bloomers who who fall through the cracks, who don't get found for whatever reason. The scouting maybe ha- isn't up to the level that it needs to be across uh, as it is across uh, the pond in, in Europe. So, or in Jimmy's case, are, really sucked until they didn't. Yeah, <laughs> I was a duckling duckling before I became a swan. <laughs> there, there are going to be occasions where players really, are, you can find true talent in, in, in college. I mean, Tejan Buchanan is probably the, the last one that I can think of that is a, is a superstar in CONCACAF. And did he do four in, years? Did he do all four years? Um, he went to Syracuse. And I want to say he did two, at least two years. Okay. Um, Kamal Miller, he went to the Syracuse. Uh, Alistair Johnson, he went to Wake Forest. Um, so these are the players that are actually playing internationally now, not only playing for their clubs, but playing internationally. And Tejan McKinn, I think, is a special case where he's a he's a superstar. He go and he gets a big transfer fee out of the Northern Revolution to go to Club Bruges in Belgium. So there are players that still can develop. And then another one is Jack Harrison going to Wake Forest, right? So there, there are players who have gone the college route and have made it to Europe, but that's, it, it doesn't come often. So right. I do think when you're looking at, if you're an MLS executive, you're saying, Hey, there are those kids who fall through the cracks, but they're going to be best prepared to make this transition to MLS. If they're playing quality games throughout the year, you're right. not going to do it with the current schedule. If you change it, now you're giving them a full year, a full program to develop, to train, uh, to, to, to really emphasize the, the development part of, of um, college soccer. So you, you can play professionally. It's better for the game. It's better for the coaches. It's better for recovery. So you're not playing because you did say Friday, Sunday. It's also throwing that midweek Tuesday game that they're, yeah, right, they're, right. they're trying to jam ga- games and out of yeah. conference games. It's hectic. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I, I, Jimmy, let me ask you this, though. Let me yeah, ask you this. Um, you know, contextually, this has to do with the fact that there's like the Notre Dame team is like speaking up saying this would change or ruin the college experience. Like we want to immerse ourselves in the spring season and things like that. I mean, at UCLA, even though, I, you know, you guys won a national championship, there was still a number of players on your team that were just sort of there because it, they were they were good enough to be on the team. But they were more maybe interested in what was next beyond the soccer mm-hmm. world. And this was the vehicle to get them an education and things like that. I mean, do you think there's some merit uh, around keeping the old school schedule? Is, is there, is there any value that you could take out of that? No, I did see some of the complaints or complaints, but counter arguments to why you'd want to expand the schedule, which I think makes a lot of sense because academically it should help those kids that you're talking about Heath, right? They're going to have a little bit more time. When we did our final four, my, my senior year, it was the same week as finals. And let me tell you what won out. I was like, you know what? I'm going to know. I'm going to do my finals later. I don't want the pressure of having to study when I have these big games coming up. And that's why I got that F that my mom's still bitter about. Athletically, I think that you manage the health and safety of the players a little bit more. I think you can improve in performance when you know you only have one game a week. And I think that you, we could also argue tactically teach your team more things because you don't have to prepare for two teams over 48 hours. You, you, you can really start to structure it. And conversely, other teams can prepare for you. So now you have to solve problems in a little bit more of a complex way, as opposed to 
well, who's got the fastest, strongest guys? Those are ones going to probably win. So I like that there's some some merit in terms of having more tactical acumen, more development in that sense, and having more time to really see those out and giving coaches that that time to make that happen. Uh, Competition-wise, I think it kind of ties into that as well. I think the competition will be stiffer. Uh, we could argue, though, that it enhances the student life experience, right? Because you do get to have some time to go Thanksgiving with your family. You do have some time to you know, study properly and, and to be involved and invested in what's happening there and start your next semester in the back half or in January, kind of really understanding what your rhythm, new rhythm is going to be. And then you can get into ease into the second half of the season. It would be an adjustment, of course, but I just think it just makes a lot but more it's similar sense. to the Danish league. Like that gap at December, January is what you do in Denmark, even though you still play the summer schedule, like you have this gap because mm -hmm. of winter and then you play out the rest of the year. I mean, it's not like this huge detachment. I mean, there are professional environment I, I don't see too similar. many cons to this to be honest my only con is and I, not Conrad's Conrad or, or yeah yeah <laughs> I'm not trying to con anybody here uh but but I, I just feel like because with this the season would end in the middle uh, or beginning of June that would be your 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 championship final even though I think you could really build out and try to mirror a lot of what March Madness does right you can lean into yeah. that you could probably maybe get a better TV contract or more eyeballs, more, more butts in the seats because you start to create something that will always be there. It's when that ends, then MLS is going to look at you. I mean, ultimately the college draft is being rendered obsolete anyway because of academies. But, but I guess that would just have to change in terms of identification from MLS teams if they don't want to change the schedule. I mean, it'd be perfect if they switch. Yeah, but these teams just sign them homegrown anyway. Like That's true. Most That's of these true. guys will just go so it doesn't homegrown. doesn't even matter. They just stay yeah, finish out, out of there. Out. Yeah. Even if they finish, even if they don't, okay. they just leave so in the middle of the year. That, that's less of a con for me. I don't really see any any negatives here, really, with it. And I just think it's just ripping the Band-Aid and making the change. And then everybody will adjust and be like, oh, yeah, that was a really good idea. It makes total sense. Yeah. But for what I would have loved it. I, 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 I would have loved it as well. Charlie, is there anything that you wouldn't have loved from, from – I mean, it was fun to – we all know that. The, the most – at that age especially, like, the most fun thing to do is play games. You just want to play games. And you do play games uh, – quite a bit but it, you know developmentally you know and maybe this changes the scouting because you know college scout or professional scouts they like to go to a place and they watch like multiple games in, in like five days they can see everyone in, in a certain region maybe you know cost effectiveness isn't 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 there as much if you're just playing one game in a week but i would love to see somebody at their best if somebody was like looking back now if if, if a professional scout or or anything was watching me on a sunday after a friday you know there's no way that i could truly believe that that uh that i was at my best physically you know also wait i'm gonna add an addendum to that charlie before you answer do you think this new system would produce better healthier players you know in, in terms of emotional health social health uh all the, the other components maybe outside the field components that could help them develop because i think we all kind of said that that college experience did help us kind of grow and give us a stepping stone from being kind of a boy to a man and, and I think you miss out on that if you jump right into a professional environment going through an academy system. Yeah, I would say, you know, when I was at BC, we played one quality spring game, and that was against the revolution here. And mm. that was the game you kind of were working towards in regards to fitness and strength and conditioning. We had 6 a.m. lifts. Um, if you were able to make the fall and the spring seasons matter, I think it just enriches your life because mm -hmm. you – if you think about your season when you were playing in college, everything was so much fun. It, it was like an energy. You, yes, you were going to class and you're focused on your, your trainings and games, but class was still there. You were still doing that. You still had to study. And there was just a, a better vibe as opposed to the spring where it was kind of like, ah, it doesn't really matter what we're doing in the spring. And people didn't really take it serious, especially I'd say the majority of my teammates. You know, it's like, ah, I'm just here in it, in it, but it doesn't matter until the fall. If you were able to stretch it out for the full year and knowing that this is real preparation and now MLS executives slash professionals across the board, USL, MLS, Europe, they take the game a little bit more serious because they know you're in a, in a proper system. I think if, if, if I'm in a college kid's shoes, I'm like, hell yeah, let's do it. I, I want to be competing for the, the NCAA tournament and play in the summer as opposed to playing in, in the winter with snow around the pitch on the final four. So I'm I'm good with that. Yeah. Here's a follow-up so, for you, Jimmy. Let me yeah, ask you this. Shoot. And this is actually taking a different angle because this has always been my approach. Jimmy, you've got your A A A license. Charlie, you've got um what are you where are you at on your your coaching? 
I don't have a coaching license. Okay, so you're basically he almost one. a He's Charlie Davis. Have you seen <laughs> yeah. his? Have you seen yeah. his quads? Yeah. Okay. Well, Charlie's a Charlie's Charlie's six months out from a B. Okay. So yeah. like he's waiting. But my 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 point my the point I was trying to make with this is, I've always felt like I want to be part of something if I'm going to go into coaching that I can have an impact on lives. Now, granted, you know, the commercial was like, you know, 99.9% are like 1 million kids per year will go pro in something other than sports. Kind of like the NCAA thing, right? Um, and that's true. Most of those kids, just like at anything, whether even if you're in an academy environment, most of them aren't going to sign with the first team. Uh, but for you, Jimmy, as a coach, because for me, it, it, this is the case. If you switch to that schedule, I'd be far more likely to be invested in wanting to coach at a university knowing that I would have more field time because if you talk to anybody from our generation or otherwise, if they're an assistant or a head coach, they go, yeah, but it's all like compliance and it's all paperwork and it's scouting. And like, you have so little time on the field and everything's documented, like creating a professional environment. I would be much more invested in, in, in the growth of, of, of humans and spending time with them, knowing that I can develop them as players and as people over a four year period for most of them, uh, than what it currently is. I've got zero interest in coaching at the college level in the old school way of like, half a year and then the other half, like maybe you're on the road scouting and whatever. Now you're talking about an, a professional environment where you actually get to impact kids over a long period of time and help shape their lives for the future, but also shape them as players in a more significant way. Would, would that change your, your approach, Jimmy, of willing to go down that route? A hundred percent. I think that you would have more engagement from both sides, the players and the coaching staff to want to see it out from a year long project. I mean, you talk so in about a way, you'd have better coaches. Yeah, and you'd end up having better coaching. You would because because the 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 I'm sure why they signed up in the first place would be more readily available. I remember college. You guys can speak to it too. When you did have those Tuesday, Friday, Sunday games, you weren't preparing. You were surviving. It, it was just, <laughs> can I make it to the next game? Who are we playing against? Okay, who's their best player? Okay, let's just make sure we pressure that guy, get his head down, and we should be okay. And and that was that was it. There wasn't much more to go on that. Now, obviously, a lot of things, a lot of things have become more sophisticated since I was playing. We were using VHS back in the day, and now we're uh, definitely way past that. But um, I still feel like it just would give the coaches more time to coach and, and to be more influential in that side of the game. And then, of course, I think on the human development side, you get to know your players probably a little bit better. You get to understand what their aspirations are and help them reach that, both scholastically and uh, and athletically. And, and I think you could probably build, you could just build something a little bit more meaningful than this, this, uh, this mercenary four or five month season where Heath Pierce can come for one semester, then bounce the next semester. And you're like, does that guy actually even on our team? You know, I think the buy-in would be a little bit different. And I think from a kid perspective, if I was coming out now, that would be really enticing for me, knowing that it was a full year, that there would be a real investment in my growth, uh, both on and off the field for a full calendar year or close to it as opposed to what currently exists. So that's a good question. Anybody wants to join us in this conversation, obviously hit us up in the comments or hit us up on Twitter, ISWT pod on the Twitter. Charlie, any final thoughts about college soccer before we take our first break and get into some MLS news and some U.S. men's national team players to watch abroad this weekend? Take it away, Charlie. No, I saw uh, from Meg Durr in, in the comments, didn't Miles Robinson go to college and Dewan Jones? Yes, Miles Robinson went to Syracuse and, and Dewan went to Michigan State. Mark McKenzie, Wake Forest. Yeah. Henry Kessler, UVA, Daryl DK, UVA. So, oh, did I did I say most of those are ACC schools? Um, well, it's because all, all, all the good players on the West Coast <laughs> go, go directly into academies, Charlie. Uh, you know, start investing so, in your academies and I'm, you won't I'm have I'm just it. saying, you know, uh, there, there are kids who go through college and, and can still have a successful professional career. That's that is that is a fact. The problem is that the length of the career is going to be not as long because they're starting to hit their peak around 25, 26, where some of the other kids who maybe come through the academy and do have success end up having their success at 18, 19, 20, which then allows them to go to Europe. And in some cases, you know, you see like a Walker Zimmerman, he's at 28, Aaron Long, they're at, you know, 28, 29. That's a little late. Not that to say that it can't happen, that you can make make a move to Europe, but it is a little late when when clubs in Europe are looking at Americans as investments. You're going to get return on your investment if you bring them over at 2021, 20, 22 to develop them as opposed to 28, 29. And maybe they don't really hit their stride till 31. You're not going to get that transfer fee. Yeah, no, no, that's great insight. I like that as well. Heath, I got one more question actually before we take uh, our break and only break of the podcast. If you're an MLS coach, 
wouldn't in some ways you value the college experience because you know you're probably going to get a more, in theory, a more well-rounded player because of the experiences he's already gone through, because he's had a little bit of that living on his own, instead of in, inheriting somebody from the academy who's really been under your umbrella the whole time. Uh, what do you think MLS coaches are looking for? Now, I know every system's a little bit different. Every coach has their own ideas. And some are some talents are undeniable. You want to get them into the first team as soon as possible. But I would say the majority, you, you want them to know how to cope with adversity. And I think that's what happens when you're a younger player and you're the star the whole way through. You finally get to the first team and you're what? You're not playing anymore. You're not the guy. You're not getting that special attention. But you had that your whole life. And I think you might get a taste of that in college. And that would be a nice stepping stone into how to handle that adversity which is the only reason I outlasted everybody else is because I knew how to deal with adversity, man. My talent was, was uh, dedication and commitment. It wasn't actually anything physical out there. So, mm -hmm. so, so most defenders, that's most fair. Defenders I'll take that. I'll, I'll take that as a compliment, uh, Charlie Davis, but, 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 but what do you think? Heath, do you feel like there's, if you're an MLS coach, I mean, what are you looking for? Yeah. I mean, that was always the argument before, right? Which is like, I don't know what you're up to for six months of the year, right? For six months of the year. You are, you are dormant when you're in MLS, if you're an MLS coach looking at players for six months of the year, I need to know what you're up to. If I'm watching you and I'm scouting you, and if I don't take you this year and, and now, you know, now I can watch you over a full year. So maybe I'm still going to take you in January, but I at least know in the, in the spring going into the, to, to the fall, you were doing stuff. You were playing games at a high level. You were in, in an environment. If I had, two, I had two of these formative experiences, I had residency in high school and I had the college experience. If I had to take one away in terms of uh, of what I felt I didn't need, it was residency because okay. I was away from home, formative years in a different way. College did a lot for me, you know, in terms of growing up, in terms of learning to be on my own, in terms of learning to be accountable for my actions, making mistakes and knowing that there were people that would have your back, but you know you don't get too many more of them um, because there's consequences to things. Uh, residency was just at a wrong age for me. That was different, right? That would be sort of what the academy is. Now, if I had that academy situation in California, it'd be different for me because most of my issues were being homesick away from home, moving away at 15, the furthest point you could possibly be not being mature enough really to handle that. And so I would take college all over again because of, again, the way it shaped me and, and, and grew me that when I, when I moved to Denmark to a country that, yeah, they all speak English there, but I moved a world apart. I felt pretty well prepared to step into an environment where I could compete that I was going to have to be uncomfortable, that I was going to be in this locker room situation, that I was going to have to like have good players around me and I was going to have to step up another level. Like I, if you're an MLS coach looking at that, you're, you're getting a lot of maturity out of them that are not just about, uh, you know, games that you play three days a week. No, I love that insight. And uh, I think that college will always have a role uh, for the game in this country. To what degree, to how many players are pulling out of that, that will probably lessen as things continue to evolve and mature at the academy level. And as MLS Next Pro starts to be more relevant and starts to give more meaningful games over a longer period of time. But I still think there's always going to be a place for college players to have a chance. Whether they take those opportunities, obviously, that is up to them. And, of course, at some point, I want to have a podcast in the future where we talk about scouting in this country because I just still mm -hmm. don't think it's as good as it can be. And I think it's got a lot, not a good. lot of room to grow. A lot of room to grow. Yes. A lot of room to grow. Facts. All right, everybody. We're going to take that break right now. When we come back, we're going to talk about a couple of coaches that got sacked in MLS, a couple of coaches that are on the hot seat. And we're going to preview some big games for U.S. men's national team players this weekend around the world. Don't go anywhere. We just got into. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. What I thought was a very scintillating conversation about college soccer and its role in the development part of how we grow the game in this country and how we develop players in particular. Now we're going to talk about 
some coaches that maybe we were referencing that no longer have jobs in MLS. And I'm going to throw it to Charlie Davies first because he just wrote an article on MLSsoccer.com about the sackings of Matias Almeida from the Earthquakes and Hernan Losada from DC United, who did they get enough time. I think Almeida got enough time. I don't know if Losada did. Uh, Chuck, give us a little uh, tease. I don't want you don't have to talk about your whole article, but like, you yeah. know, what are your thoughts on these sackings? You know, I, I wrote an article on, on MLSsoccer.com. You can see it at the front page. Um, wow. Flex, call, flex college, college educated uh, writer. It, you here. Know? <laughs> Boston it, College educated. It, it's on how players perceive coaching changes and what lessons DC United and San Jose c- could heed. And so when you look at Matias Almeida and his time at San Jose Earthquakes, he had enough time to turn around, but, but there was no progress. And you know, at times you hear him talking about, oh, I wish I could invest in my team like that. He'd, he'd always have these snide little comments about having the resources to go out and, and get um, talent. He brought in talent. The talent that he brought in wasn't good enough. And right. then you look at just kind of the, the players and, and how are they making progress? I mean, Cade Cow, we've seen his, his acceleration and his pace and change of speed and, and scoring some good goals. But has he developed enough since we first saw those moments, I would say not. Um, and, and they have too many performances that are up and down. They win 5-0, they lose 3-0. They win 4-1, they lose 5-1. You know, and in, in terms of stability, they just didn't have it. So I think for San Jose Earthquakes, they have talent on that roster. They can, they can turn it around, and it starts with having a defensive foundation first and playing to their strengths. And you have Christian Espinoza, you have Kate Cowell. That speaks counterattack to me. You have Jerby Abo- Abogas- They score a lot of goals, too. I mean, yeah. So, again, it's just defending, team defending as a collective and not playing this 1v1 erratic style and throwing numbers forward. And so I think the tactics are wrong. On the other side, for DC, Hernan Masada, I don't think he got enough time. But the problem there was he alienated the whole squad because it seems to me that he wasn't open for change. He wasn't open to ideas. And if He didn't adapt, one, right? He didn't adapt. If you have one-track mind and you're not taking you know, the cues from your team saying, hey, I get you're trying to maximize our, our capacity in terms of fitness and with the press and your style of play, great. But all of us, we don't have enough energy. We're, we're recovering on the weekend because you keep pushing the line and you have to have balance. He gave no balance. So for DC United and their fan base, you got to look at the past four or five years. Wayne, you get a new stadium, you move out at RFK, Wayne Rooney, it's this shiny object, but it also kind of, it's a Band-Aid. Lucho Acosta, all, all the rumors pointed to him going to PSG for $10 million. You turn that offer down to lose him for nothing? That makes right. no sense. Yeah, That's so not on Lasada, about, though. That's on that's no, no, on but, the office. Yeah, it's but I get just it. the buildup, right? right? And then you get Hernan Lasada, you lose Ben Olsen, and Ben Olsen was almost, too, you have one great year, then a lot of poor years and mediocre and no changes, no no expectations to, to really win things. And he was super um, chill, by the way, as a coach. Super chill. I, I, I really got along with Ben. Charlie hates the I D.C. Left. United. I, I, I love Charlie United. hates the D.C. United. But, if you actually go on your Wikipedia page, you're wearing a D.C. United jersey. So, I could, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, 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 Heath, I, I want to take what Charlie's saying, and I actually look forward to reading your article more in depth on MLSsoccer.com on the front page, everybody. Jeez, but, but with regard to these two coaches, it seemed like they had something similar, which is a stubborn streak with regard to this is the way that we're going to play no matter what and refuse to adapt. And Almeida got more time than Lasada did. But it looked like Lasada was going down the same track, even if they had given him more time. Now, in fairness to Lasada, uh, Ariola went to uh, DC. They lost Paredes to Wolfsburg. Like he lost two significant attacking why, players. Why now, do you think Ariola left? Though? But I heard Ariola left because he didn't get along with Lasada. So I guess that goes hand in hand there. Right. But they didn't really replace him, replace these players, you know, like for like. And and I think it's up to the coach to figure out the best way to now get back to the point of adapting. But. We've seen other, Garbel Heinze was another example of this at Atlanta United. Had one way of doing things. Some of it was super extreme. And I don't know if it's a cultural thing or or what it may be, but it doesn't seem to work mm-hmm. in MLS. Your thoughts on these two firings, Heath Pierce? No, I mean, I think what it what it comes down to now, we're, we're, we're entering an era in Major League Soccer where the league's been around long enough that the only way clubs can be good long-term is to actually build a sporting philosophy. And that outlives a coach and their tactics within the parameters of that. But if every coach you bring in 
his job is to also build the the culture and the philosophy and the style of play and the system of play and all these things. And then you got to build a team around that. By the you're always chasing the future. So you never have the team that you want within the philosophy that you have that we've seen now, you know, some things Atlanta United doesn't fit within it. Gabriel Heinz it out, right? You you see that at clubs where there's at least a foundation being built that uh, uh, you you now bring a coach within a style of, you know, there might be, there's there's a, a million ways that you can play something differently, but there's at least a foundation being built that the club is is the biggest thing and we're building the future of the club. And I don't feel like I've, I've seen that. I actually thought maybe there was going to be something there with, with Ben Olsen at DC United and the fact that he'd been there a long time, you get a new stadium, you get an influx of new cash, ownership group, you, and you go, okay, now you're starting to maybe maybe have something there. But again, there was the constant ebb and flow of the performance of the team, the spending within the team, things like that. Now we've seen the evolution of that, right? Philly Union says, we're going to go young. We're not going to be able to compete. And, but they Actually, stuck with Jim Curtin as well, who also had some down years. Like ben. He had some down years, but, but they, they, were, out that they believed in the identity and the future of like, we need this We need this first generation of academy to come all the way through, right? Which we've seen now, Mark McKenzie, Brendan Aronson. Now they're seeing that pipeline of players. They're also building a more sustainable model where they're saying, hey, Atlanta, go spend your $20 million on a player. That's cool for you. We're going to do it this way over here, and this is going to be what we do, and we're not going to get caught up in, in, in the shiny toys of certain things like that. And I think now you have to get that, and D.C.'s a historic club. They've got to now get to that point for them. Uh, San Jose, very differently. Bringing in somebody brought a, a, lot of, a lot of splash, a lot of attention, great in the media, great for you know eyeballs on the club but still hasn't built that foundation off of what you were part of, Jimmy, what, what Landon Donovan was part of in the early days, Brian Ching and all these things, Chris Wondolowski, like all these things that were sort of built around, around these teams. I, I still feel like a lot of the clubs are behind on building that philosophy that then you go and find a coach and you say, well, we're going to give them the guardrails. And then within those guardrails, you can be mm -hmm. creative all you want, but you have to live within these guardrails. So we got to get it right on who we're going to bring in and how we're going to support them from a resource standpoint. What, what is it What is it saying if you're a United team right now? Because Manchester United is running into some similar themes for DC United. Can't really figure out what the best is. What is their identity? Who are they moving forward despite previous success? But it's interesting that you phrase it that way, Heath. And I'm going to throw this back to you, Charlie. It's about sporting Kansas City because they are really struggling this year. They haven't scored more than one goal in any of their games. They are languishing on mm. both sides of the ball. Peter Vermes is already coming out and throwing a lot of players under the bus with, with regard to their mentality. He used to do that when I was there as well. And I was like, Jimmy Conrad had sporting Kansas city. No, never, never. I'm a club <laughs> legend. I'm just saying true. though, but, but Peter Vermes is a guy that has established all the things that Heath is talking about. The club has an identity, a way they want to play, a way they want to utilize the youth Academy, a way they want to be smart with their signings and be really thoughtful about everything that they're doing. Some of it works out. Some of it doesn't. That's every club. But now it's getting to the point where the, the fans are tired of that. And now Peter Vermes might have reached a point where after so many years, he might not be welcome as the head coach. Now he could still stick on as a general manager. I don't see him firing himself because I think he's getting no. too much pride for that. But now we're entering into another phase of this where you do have a longtime coach who has done so much to put his stamp on every single facet of the club that might just be at his ceiling. Like that's as, that's as good as it's going to get and it won't get any better. What yeah. happens with them? And they're playing Columbus this this week against Caleb Porter, hey. who's also struggling. People want him out, even though he won MLS Cup. Charlie, answer this and make sure you send this back on Jimmy. Don't let him out of this one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Answer that question. You send it right back to Jimmy. Oh, yeah. It's bad versus bad this weekend, too, yeah. uh, with, with, with SKC and, and the crew. But I will say this. Um, you know, all things come to an end, right? It, it was never going to last forever being able to, to run – the ship and be the be the head head coach um, for Peter Vermees. He's done an incredible job, no doubt. Um, but it seems like his team is is a little on the the un, uninspired side. I might add. You know, it, you have a lot of guys that've been there in the locker room for a, a while, kind of get complacent. They the, the drive is is not doesn't seem to be there. The ambition. You have a star in Alan Polito, your DP striker, who's out for the whole season before you know that's announced before the league kicks off this year. They don't have a nine. They didn't go out to replace one. Then you're kind of in that awkward space. You go out and invest in a nine, knowing that Polito is going to come back the next year. So then, what do you do if that's a success? And you know, and then you're you're kind of caught in a, in a tough place. I think. And you also had Paulo Nagamura, who also seems to have uh, hit, hit the ground running with the Houston Dynamo, who was under right. you working uh, in the second division. This could be a, a perfect case because I think Benny Philhopper now is running the, the second team, right? So yes. it, it could be a case where after this year, you remove yourself 
from, from being the coach. Um, and then you just focus on being the general manager and, and helping the new young coach come in with his new envision. I know Benny, we, we've all played with him. He's, he's a midfielder. He wants possession. He wants creative players. That right. could kind of be um, a good selling point for someone like an Alan Polito, for someone like a Johnny Russell or Daniel Shalwi. You, you kind of use the strength that you have in your squad and build around it. So they need a nine. I think they need some midfielders, uh, maybe getting in a, a number 10. And then their back line, I think it's improved, but it's always been, uh, I think, a little weak. And, and Jimmy, I think you can speak speak on that. <laughs> well, I just remember when I was playing for Kansas City and, and Peter had just taken over for Kurt Anolfo, and, and we didn't have a very good performance uh, the week before. And instead of him coming to me to say X, Y, and Z, I need you to be better at this, or, or I need you to help raise the game of the guys around you, or whatever it is, he goes to the papers and tells the Kansas City Star all of these things. And when I saw it, I was like, why would he not talk to me first? So I, I go out there and I call him out ultimately. Like, what the, what's the deal, dude? And he goes, well, this is just my way of motivating players. Because I feel like if I say it publicly, that that will get... I'm like, dude, you might want to know some of your players better. Because that, that's not going to inspire me. And now I feel like you're an asshole, you know? Like, I don't... Mm -hmm. Just come talk to me as a human being, and we'll work through it. And then, did he I'll listen wanna... to that? Did he listen? Like, did he? Well, take clearly that in he hasn't, because he's still doing the same <laughs> crap. So, so that that frustrates me a little bit because I know what he's trying to do, and and some of his players will respond to that. But I'm hopeful that he's at least also having these private conversations with these guys, or maybe even prior to this being out there, so they know what's coming, in some capacity. This isn't new information for him. Hopefully, that's changed. And and he's been around long enough to know what works and what doesn't. So. This isn't like a Ernan Lasada who's still trying to learn his trade as a very young coach. This is Peter Vermes who's been around and has had success in this league as a player. But th that's and also a problem, Jimmy, because the game evolves and you right. have to evolve with it. You have to change with it because if the coaches that get stuck in their, the old ways and, and relying on, on on their past history and, and not having an open mind to change and, and conversations, if you don't change, because look it, nowadays hey. players are, 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 are of a different mold. It's yes. not like the old grinding and, and he makes the playoffs every year though, just like Seattle. They're yeah, a playoff like, team. Every he's like the Mexican year. national team though. They get bounced in the first round. <laughs> well, that, like, I mean, they get we, to the we, knockout we, rounds and they get uh, knocked we, out. We could be talking about this now, and then all of a sudden Peter Vermees come the summer, make some moves, and and they're they're back in it. Well, right? that's MLS, but but right. but I, I just wonder I was, overall if it continues they, this way. Right. Well, they've lost. They won MLS Cup in 2013. Then they lost in the first round of the playoffs in four consecutive years. Mm -hmm. Then won one round and lost, missed the playoffs, won one round and lost, won one round and lost last year. It's just they haven't even gotten close. It's not like they got back to a final and lost. They haven't even gotten close to a final since they won it in 2013. But if you're a club and you're a fan base, you're pretty excited about the fact that you're in that conversation every Now, you start to look at that statistically mm. and go, go, that's not very good. You should go read the fan base's comments. They're, yeah. not, they're not that happy. Okay, then that. I get that. But, like, if you were to compare that elsewhere, it's a pretty, like, Compared would, to Cincinnati. I mean, well, you can't compare anything to Cincinnati, <laughs> but like, a good one. like, yeah, but, but there are like a team that is like, most teams are maybe, you know, a couple years good and then they miss it. And it's a rebuild year and whatever. Like when you look at building again, like go back to the start of this conversation, that philosophy and everything like that, they've accomplished that, but now they've fallen short of the ultimate goal, which is like, okay, we're a playoff team every year, but we're not a championship team and we're not even close. Um, <laughs> yeah. We could talk about this for a whole other podcast. So maybe we'll have to bring Peter Rubens yeah. on so he can defend himself or anybody other coach that's on the hot seat. Let's talk about our U.S. men's national team players that have big games this weekend, players to watch so everybody knows what to do when they're uh, looking for games this weekend. I'm going to go first. I want to see Yunus Musa play for Valencia in the Copa del Rey final. They're taking on Real Betis. This is a big moment. We need our, our best players, our, our, any of our players, actually playing in the biggest games possible. And this is a massive one. Valencia have won this eight times. Copa del Rey, last time was in 2019. Bet have only won it twice. And under Manuel Pellegrini, I think they're probably a little bit better on paper. Betis, they beat they beat Valencia earlier 4-1 this season. Yunus Musa didn't start that game, so he's got that going for him. But he did come on the last 30 minutes. And after he came on, they scored two more goals. I don't know what that says about Yunus Musa in particular. But it didn't go well in that particular instance. He went, did have an injury two weeks ago against Osasuna. He missed the game. Started against Villarreal. They lost 2-0 this past week. I hope he starts. I just hope he starts and gets to have some influence in a very big game because this would be a very big deal for him to win a pretty significant trophy. And then I just want to give a quick shout-out before I get to you, Heath. I'll go to you. Uh, Jesus Ferrer is playing in the Texas Derby, FC Dallas versus the Houston Dynamo. Both teams 
are on a six-game unbeaten streak in all competitions, including the Open Cup. They both survived with 2-1 wins. Jesus Ferrer, in his last three starts, has five goals and an assist. He's really coming into good form ahead of these June friendlies that we have coming up in the Nations League. I want to see how he performs against the Houston team under Paulo Nagamura, who have been uh, a little bit getting more into the identity of how Nagamura wants to play. So I'm excited to see those two players in particular. How about you, Heath? Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Mark McKenzie. Uh, he's playing uh, this weekend Gank against uh, Ghent or Gank. Ooh, it's a Gank versus uh, Ghent. I yeah. love that. Yeah. And both those teams who have underperformed this year uh, have now fit fighting for that last uh, Europa Conference League spot. So there's a four-team playoff. This is the first one for them. Mark McKenzie is playing again. So I think there's a, a number of things there. One, to get into Europe, I think is really important for, for the team and for him personally. But also, two, he's now in, in a good run of form with this coach that could have major implications as to what this means for him going into the summer in terms of a potential move away where he can get more time or cementing himself if they were to sell one or two of the, the, the center backs that I know are on, on the uh, sort of transfer block right now. So just a really big weekend for him to perform, to prove himself, and, and also to kind of tee up going into the spring and, and the summer, as we talked about in our, in our show yesterday. Some of these things are going to help define uh, the, the final roster for this national team. 100%, and then 100%. The backup one is, is – is, or not the backup one, but my other one was, was Serginho Dest. Um, has a, has a big game this weekend against um, – now I'm blanking on the team inside of my head. Uh, I don't know if anybody has the list in, in front of them. Um, Keep but, going. Well, why do you want to see him? Keep going. I'll no, try. just I just want to see him because, it, again, it's been start-stop. We we all talked about him when he was under uh, – Ryo Vallecano. Ryo Vallecano, yeah. Yep. Well, you know, who are, are, are mid-table. But, like, nothing hugely uh, – not huge implications in this game. But he has been one since Xavi came out and, and, and sort of backed him to be kind of on the field, off the field, on the field, off the field. And this is an opportunity, and I expect him to start in this one, uh, to just put out a good performance. And he's one that I just continue to watch to see getting better and better and hopefully start to put up more statistics for an attacking fullback, you know, goals, assists, things like that, which he hasn't right. done. All right, That's Charlie, it. how about you? You know where I'm going. I'm Strikers going probably. Ricardo Pepe. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, it's interesting. In the month of April, he played 89 minutes versus Wolfsburg. And they won three now. He didn't score, but 90 minutes. He was active that game. I remember. Yeah, he was active. Uh -huh. 19 minutes against Mines. They lost, or they won. 19 minutes. 34 minutes away at Bayern Munich. And then 34 minutes, uh, which they lost 1 0. And, uh, and then another loss of a 1 0 to Hertha Berlin. He played 34 minutes. This weekend, they played Bochum. Now, they're, they're above the drop line. And Bochum and, and is uh, four points out of 36 yeah. points. This is a big, big, big match. If they can win this, I would, I would be willing to say that they're going to be safe this year. So, um, you know, it, it is a, a another performance for him to try and get back in the team. You know, he's getting consistent minutes. It's kind of how I felt my first year in Sweden. I had it started a couple games. It wasn't going my my way. So for the majority of the season, I came off the bench, and, and he just made me work, work tirelessly, take extra trainings, and then by the end of the year, last game. I score a hat trick, you know, and, and it's one of those things where you just got to continue to work, build confidence mm -hmm. and just show the team and the coach that you committed with the extra trainings and working on your game. I think, you know, with this type of, of, of um, process, it'll, it'll be good for him in the end. My other player that I'm watching is Timothy Weah. I mean, uh, he, he played 90 minutes last match. Uh, of course they lost two one, but he played 90 minutes as the, as the nine as the starting yeah, striker. Love to see that. Love to see that. Um, and then this weekend, they're playing Strasbourg. So it's a it's a, a big match. I'm interested to see if he, one, go, starts again. And if he well, is starting, yeah, he's starting. You want that consistency, right? Right. Yeah, right. So here we go. All right. Well, and, those and are shout the out, And shout out to Valentina. Thank you. I feel, I feel fly in this jacket. Um, Nike treats me right. So appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. yeah free plugs on the show save 10 percent by putting charlie charlie 10 into uh yeah. checkout. <laughs> all right uh final thoughts then i'm gonna go first and i'm going to say i just want everybody to play play well and not get hurt for our u.s men's national team players i'm tired of all these injuries we need to start getting on the men charlie i'll come back to you any final thoughts outside of what you just said about those two players um just keep playing. Get get on the pitch. Um, that's what's going to allow this team, uh, the, the, this position, to continue to uh, figure itself out with the U.S. Women's National Team. And number two, college soccer. Make it a full year. 
yes. uh, mm-hmm. competition. Mm-hmm. So that come summer, we can get hyped for this NCAA tournament. Good weather. I think more people will be there, be involved. Um, it just makes sense. So the competition throughout the year will continue to develop the players who, who have fallen through the cracks and, and allow them to kind of reach the level sooner than later. I love that. I can't. I honestly can't wait to get into like a scouting in this country podcast. It's going to be a very mm-hmm. good one. Heath, how about you? Final thoughts? No, my only final thoughts is uh, just this quick little song. Charlie Davis hates DC United. <laughs> Jimmy well, Conrad hates K- Sporting oh, KC. Oh, that that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, guys. I don't know. I'm just trying to get a like, little clickbait here and get you guys in trouble. University of Portland. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, kinda. Uh, uh, yeah. Anyways, I can't wait to be a college coach. <laughs> That's your final thought. Yeah. We're, we're in the ACC or we're? No, dude. No oh. one plays in the ACC. What is this? A bunch of East Coasters afraid to afraid to cross the Mississippi. You know what I mean? Oh, please. I don't know. All I know is UCLA beat Virginia in the national championship game. I was there. Ooh. And uh, Ben Olsen, I was playing against Ben Olsen and Brian West as a shout out for everybody. Matt Chulis. Anybody remember Matt Chulis? All right, everybody. That is our yeah. episode for today. And oh. Soccer We Trust has come to an end. We'll see you on Monday if you want to watch it live on the YouTubes. That's 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. If you want to listen to it on the audio form, well, then you just have to wait till it comes out, but it'll be there for you when you are ready. Make sure you hit like and subscribe and all that good stuff on any of the things that you're listening or consuming this podcast on. And we had a special guest this past week with Ugo Perez. Will we surprise you with another special guest next week? You have to wait and come back and find out, but it will be a lot of fun regardless. So on behalf of soccer.com, MLSsoccer.com. Go read that article just for Charlie, everybody. So on behalf of producer Alex, Charlie Davies, Heath Pearson, Jimmy Conrad, we'll see you next time. Have a great weekend. Later. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.